Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In my lifetime, I have had the privilege of living in a variety of different places, and I have experienced, I would say, a wide range of weather climates. I have lived everywhere from under the gray and rainy skies of my birth state of Washington to living in the tropical weather of Oahu, Hawaii. I faithfully cleared the driveway up in Gaylord, Michigan, even that winter where we set a record in the month of December of snowfall with over 100 inches. I survived the, the summers in St. Louis, Missouri, even when we set a record there for most consecutive days with high temperatures over 100 degrees. What I've noticed in living in all these variety of places, however, is the way that different people react to different kinds of weather, particularly weather that they're not expecting. I used to love it when it snowed in St. Louis. They just don't know what to do with it there. My wife Jenny and I would... Um, would use that opportunity to get all of our errands done. Everyone else would be at home with emergency groceries for a week, not planning to leave the home for a whole week. And we would be delighted to go out and to go to the stores and find all the usual traffic on the roads and in the parking lots and the stores themselves just empty. But there was one time in St. Louis that even I wasn't expecting certain weather, and that's happened quite a bit. Something I didn't know as much about then, which is true here in southern Michigan as well, and that is ice, particularly the dangers of black ice or clear ice. A strange phenomenon. It can be raining outside, but when the ground is cool enough and the temperatures start to go down, especially in the evening hours, the water freezes when it hits the ground. And and so I remember one day in St. Louis, I was walking across the campus at the seminary in St. Louis between classes, and I just didn't see it coming. I was minding my own business, putting one foot in front of the other, and then without warning, my feet went completely out from under me, and I landed absolutely flat on my back. My breath was knocked out of me. I don't remember how long I was laying there. It probably seemed a lot longer than it actually was. Thankfully, I wasn't badly hurt or anything like that, but it did hurt. And I was more so in a state of shock. I remember people hovering over me, concerned for me. I not only felt, but was truly completely helpless. I was also really embarrassed. But there was nothing I could do about it except get back up. Needless to say, it was a pretty unpleasant experience. Maybe you had a, you've had an experience somewhat like that at some point. If you had, think about that. Let's take that experience and just tweak it a little bit. Instead of that happening to you, imagine that someone did it to you. I mean on purpose. You're walking along, minding your own business when your foot hits a rug or, or, or whatever it is, and they literally pull the rug from out from under you. And, and down you go, flat on your back, and it hurts. And you would still be and feel completely helpless and embarrassed but, embarrassed, but the difference is you know that someone did that to you. Well, who would do such a thing? I'd like to introduce you to John the Baptizer. Because in a way, that is exactly what he is doing to us today. 
Here we are in the midst of our Christmas season. We had the holiday parade in Celine last night. We have our church's Advent season, as, as Deanna explained, a season of waiting. And there's a lot of things going on. And each of us individually in our own families, we are focusing on the things that need to get done, the activities that are planned, the gifts to secure, the, the songs we love to sing, the decorations and the lights that we love to put up and that abound. We are minding our own business. We are walking our own way, putting one foot in front of the other. And then without warning, it seems, in our church today, we hear John the baptizer yell out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, repent because the king is coming. That's what John was proclaiming in his day. And Matthew, the gospel writer, tells us all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judea, all the region around the Jordan, they were all responding to John's message. They went out to be baptized by him. And John's message to them was clear. You, the people of God, you are in danger. And you, the children of Abraham, you are lost. Each one of you has just been minding your own business, putting one foot in front of the other, going your own way. But John was making their business his business because he was the one of whom Isaiah prophesied to prepare the way. Repent, John said, because the king is coming. The Messiah is about to arrive, and when he comes, the winnowing fork will be in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. The wheat will be gathered into the barn, but the chaff into the fire. And so the people were going out in droves to see John. And they weren't going out to applaud him. They weren't going out to marvel or admire him. They went out to be baptized by him. And while they were being baptized, Matthew writes, they were confessing their sins. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that for them, this would have been like having the rug pulled out from under them. For hundreds of years, they had been going their own way, thinking all was well. They thought that because they were of, of Abraham's line, his descendants, that they had it in the bag. But when John arrived, they found themselves flat on their back. And I'm sure it hurt. I'm sure it was embarrassing. They felt, I'm sure, and were completely helpless. One minute they're minding their own business, and the next minute... They realized that they have been the problem all along. They had sinned. They had deceived themselves. They had offended God and hurt their neighbor. But John, based on his preaching, knocked the breath out of them. And they found that they had absolutely nothing to say except, I'm sorry. As so shocking as I'm sure John was for the people, it was probably worst of all for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had made it their business to not only talk the talk, but to walk the walk. They thought that they were doing a good enough job for God. And they also thought that part of their job was to show others how to do just that, how to walk in the way of Moses, where to put your foot down and how you should put your foot down and, and when you should do so. But what does John say to them when they go and, and, and check out what John's doing? He says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers. Who warned you 
to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise these stones up as children of Abraham. Now, Matthew doesn't go on to tell us if it worked with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If John was successful in pulling the rug out from under them. But if he did succeed well, then they too would have found themselves helpless and gasping for air. And we recognize that this same message that John was proclaiming to the people in his day, he is still proclaiming to us through God's word in our day, and particularly today in the second week of Advent. And again, what is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, because the king is coming. Just as Jesus arrived the first time on earth, he has promised to come again for you as your king. And why did he come? And why is he coming again? Well, Jesus is coming to save you from your sins. The sins of walking your own way, of of minding your own business, and putting your feet down where you want to go. Perhaps you find yourself walking in the way of self-centeredness. Your plans, your priorities, your schedule, your needs, and your wants. Completely oblivious or worse, apathetic to the needs and the crises that your neighbor is going through. Or perhaps walking in the way of coveting. Coveting your neighbor's wife or husband. Coveting their house or their family coveting your neighbor's finances or whatever it is your heart may be fixed upon. Just putting your feet down one after another, willfully walking in the way of greed and covetousness. Or perhaps walking in the way of worry or fear. Worry or fear about your life or the life of one of your loved ones. Worry or fear about this world and the things that are happening in it. Worry and fear so that you try to take control of your own life, even though in reality you are not in control. But regardless, just walking down that path every day of worry and fear in new ways. Whatever your sins are or may be, today is a reminder And a wake-up call that right now is the time to repent of your sin so that you might be saved from it. Now, it's not like repenting is a pleasant experience. Repenting hurts. It's embarrassing. It's actually really embarrassing. It's embarrassing that I find that I am still that petty. It hurts me to know after all of these years that I can still be that greedy or that self-centered or that overconfident. It's like having the rug pulled out from under me each and every time. And so there I am. I can't move. I I can't hardly breathe. I, I can both feel and I realize I am truly, completely helpless in my sin. And what's more, I know that the king is coming back one day. And and the king is powerful. He is more powerful than you or I could ever imagine. And compared to his power, I am but chaff waiting to be burned away. So what can I do? Well, we can continue to walk in our own way, the same way that we always have, putting our feet where we want to. 
But we know that that way only leads to our death, both spiritually and temporally. And the king is coming. He is coming on the last day. So where do we find the king? And what will he do with me when he arrives? Especially after I hear John today and realize I am completely helpless in my sin. You know, I've been teaching in my Sunday Bible study, and and if you've attended, you'll know this right away. but, But even if you haven't, what we've been talking about is not telescoping God's word. That is to read just a section of scripture at the exclusion of everything else around it, telescoping God's word. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind with our gospel reading today, because what we find, if we just zoom out just a little bit, it helps us connect it to something that we don't usually hear about until the epiphany season, that is the baptism of Jesus which in Matthew's gospel happens in the very next verse, in in verse 13. Only one verse after our gospel reading, Matthew answers the question, where do we find our king and what will he do with us when he arrives? So let's read verse 13 together. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. You see, the king has chosen to be right down there with you. The people were all coming to John, and I imagine they were filling the waters of Jordan. There were so many people, and they were down there doing one thing, to be baptized and to repent of their sins. And so the waters were full of the sins of the people, people who realized they were helpless, and they were gasping for air and repenting before God. And while they were doing that, they realized all of a sudden one day, they were not alone. Because Jesus appeared at the Jordan, and he went down there in the water where all those sinners were. And at that moment, in a way, John the baptizer now was the one who had the rug pulled out from under him. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I have need to be baptized of you, and do you come to me? And Jesus says, now, John, allow it. This is the way now. This is the path. This is where I am putting my feet one foot in front of the other to fulfill all righteousness. This is where I am choosing to walk in the way of sinners. The people were in the water. And so Jesus went into the water. Not because he was a sinner. He is God. But rather because he is the God who chooses to be with his people to take their place. And so the father sees that day what Jesus did, and he is pleased with his son. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I I am pleased. The father was pleased that the son was taking the place of his people. And Jesus went down into the water for you. It's like a bright, flashy neon sign that says, this is the servant. This is the substitute. This is your Savior. Now, the only people in the reading whom Jesus is not close to, are the people who chose to stay out of the water. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and anyone else who was refusing the message of John, the message of repentance. These are the people who tragically try to keep their balance on their own, not willing to be laid low in repentance. And so they literally stayed high and dry, but also far from Jesus. Because Jesus, again, was in the water. 
He is in the place of sinners. He is alongside his helpless people. And after Jesus' baptism and after his temptation in the wilderness which followed, when Jesus begins his ministry, he begins walking one foot in front of the other on the path appointed for him. And where was he heading? He was heading toward the ultimate place of sinners. He was heading toward the cross and the deadly tomb. And that's exactly where we see our salvation that our king brings to us. This was the salvation that John wanted proclaimed. That at the cross and at the tomb, we see our king win our salvation. Because Jesus did not come to destroy sinners. Jesus came to take our place and has come to make us his own. We are blessed to have seen all of this happen yet again today before our very eyes. Little Aidan had had his Savior draw unbelievably close to him in the waters of baptism. And all of Aidan's sins were confessed there, and those sins were washed away in the water, and the only one still standing in the water for him was his Savior who has come to take his place at the cross. And so as we witness another baptism, we get to remember our own. And we remember that just as Jesus has done for Aidan, he has done so for each one of us as well. He has saved us from our sins. Today, we are called once again to repent. It might be quite startling in the midst of the season that we're in. It may be quite uncomfortable for us or even embarrassing. We might find ourselves knocked flat on our back, helpless in sin. But wherever you may be today, listen to John. And then turn your eyes to Jesus. And he will meet you in the place where he may be found. Not, not in your strength, not in your sinlessness, not in all of your abundance. Rather, Jesus chooses to meet you in your helplessness, in your sinfulness. And in your great need. Jesus has already met you in the waters of your baptism. And Jesus, he will meet you here again at his altar. And he is there for you. He is forgiving all of your sins. And he is bringing you life and salvation. In his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Oh,